0: Vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free, so deep is the love of Jesus. My friends, turn with me once again joyfully and expectantly to the first chapter of 1 Peter. Uh, we have taken our jolly good time getting through the first chapter, and I wouldn't have rushed it for anything, uh, because each part of it is sweeter than the part before. It's on page 1014, if you want to look in those uh, blue Bibles, or the passage for this morning is in your bulletin. And if you've looked at that, you'll see that today our focus in particular is on the final uh, four verses, verses 22 through 25 as we conclude before i read them for us remember here's where we are so far peter has given to us three commands he'll give a fourth in just a moment when i read this but three directives have come for him from him for the church in exile and those are set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you at the day of christ jesus Secondly, that in the midst of your time of exile, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And then third, conduct yourselves, conduct ourselves with fear, knowing that the Lord is a good judge and an appropriate judge and an accurate judge and our Father and a judge who loves us on whom we call. Conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your exile. And he took those three commands And he laid them on the foundation of the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And he laid them on the foundation that is ours because we possess in Christ a ransomed soul. And that's what we looked at last week. Ransomed, not with earthly things and not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. That blood of Christ that was sealed and accepted in heaven and for people on earth by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, his ascension up into heaven that seals upon us the effectiveness of that ransom price that has been paid for us. The blood of Christ, that precious blood, is that blood that forgives you of your sin And it is that blood that frees you from your sin as well. You are a ransomed soul. Nothing less than a ransomed soul by the blood of Jesus Christ. So ransomed souls, hear the word of God, the living and abiding word of God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, you. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, thank you for the good news that was preached to us. And we pray that today as I preach it and as we hear it, that again we would rejoice in the good news of our ransomed souls and what they're freed unto by you. Lord be with us then today, we ask in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Perishable. Our world is full of things that are perishable, of things that will perish. If you get a box and it comes to your door and on that box is listed perishables, that fruit or that food you know has a limited time that it's good because it's perishable. Plants and trees that you plant and hope will last for a long, long time, those things are perishable pets that you love, dogs, cats, and other things that are precious to us, they are perishable in this world. Even non-living things, cars and houses, are perishable in this world. When you get a new car, you drive it for a couple of years, and it will seem to you like this car is going to last forever. It just is really going well. And then sounds start happening, and lights start flashing, and then you've got to replace a transmission on that car that you thought would last forever. Sorry, just speaking out of recent experience of things that you thought would never happen uh, with a particular car. And we're perishable. Our earthly lives, at least, are perishable. So, uh, several weeks ago, a month ago now, Lauren and I had our anniversary and one of the traditions that we have on our anniversary is that we get out the wedding album and we look at the pictures and we go through the pictures and we kind of celebrate and we remember and we smile. Uh, And there's a sweetness to it, of course, and yet each year it's a little more painful to do it. No, 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 no. listen to why it's painful. It's painful because the people who were there have died people have perished. People who were there on what for us certainly at the time was the most significant day of our lives together at least, they're gone. And the amount of them that are gone is extraordinary. In fact, one might even begin to argue that the amount of them that are gone that we can see at least in the pictures exceeds the amount that are still alive. We are perishable. The scriptures affirm it in any number of places. Here's the way Moses said it. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. David, in Psalm 39, put it this way, Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime has nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely man goes about as a shadow. And here's the way David's son, Solomon, put it. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to the dust all return. Peter quotes Isaiah. He quotes the passage that we read earlier. When he says, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Perishability is crushing. The fact that this is a perishable world is crushing to us. It is weighty to us. All would seem, in a perishable world, to be so much futility, so much vanity, because it perishes, and because we perish as well. But... Peter ran to the tomb. And when he got to the tomb, he couldn't find Jesus. And he wondered what had happened to his Lord and Savior, and he goes back to the others, and before he knows it, the Lord Jesus is standing there in his midst saying, does anybody here have anything to eat? And peace be with you. Peter spoke with the resurrected Jesus Christ. He not only spoke with him, he ate fish by the shore with the resurrected Christ. He watched that resurrected Christ ascend up into heaven. And what he knows is that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, imperishability broke into a perishable world. The seed of imperishability in the life and the resurrection life of Jesus Christ has come into the world. And that seed planted in the world will, without doubt, without question, yield. It will yield growth, and it will yield fruit from it. Perishable and imperishable. These are words like other words that are found in our text just this morning, 22 from, and 25 through, through 25. These are words and concepts that Peter's already used a couple of times now leading us up to the section that we are looking at today. Remember, when we started this out, verse 3 of this talked about the fact that our inheritance that we have is an imperishable inheritance. And then just last week, as we looked at it, we saw that the efficacy of the precious blood of Christ is not perishable. It's not perishable like silver and gold are perishable, but it is, in fact, imperishable and that it has ransomed us from futility. We have been brought into the world of imperishability. And when we, when we say we've been brought into the world of imperishability, we might be tempted to think that we're talking about our future destiny. In other words, we might be tempted to think, well, we enter into the world of imperishability after our death because after our death, then we inherit eternal life, we've come into the world of imperishability. But that is not the idea that Peter has got here, and that is not the truth of what Jesus Christ has done. Imperishability has broken into the perishable world now. Now, imperishability is at work within you. Now the seed of imperishability is growing inside of you in our lives. It is revolutionary for our present life. And for Peter, as he turns to this particular section, what we see then, also as we continue this idea, is we've been ransomed not only into the world, into the sphere of imperishability, but we have been ransomed... Into the family of imperishability. Okay, not just imperishability as if it's some just thing that's out there, but the family of imperishability. Because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, they have loved each other forever and ever. That family love, that family of imperishability has been there from the very beginning and it will have no end. Think for a moment. Think for a moment of uh, something that we shared last week or that I referenced last week. So we are ransomed by the blood, the precious blood of Christ and I talked about this uh, obviously with respect to God and his ransoming work on our behalf last week. But consider this as well with respect to the earthly work of ransoming, and we talked about this last week. So you could be ransomed if you had gotten into a position of poverty and had to place yourself in slavery to someone else. You could be ransomed from that. A purchase price could be paid. Or if you had to forsake your property, Your property could be ransomed and returned to you. And remember the illustration of that or one of the great illustrations of it in the Old Testament is with Ruth and Naomi and their redeemer who is Boaz. Think of what Boaz does here and and this will help us to see what Peter is trying to say here in this particular section. Boaz did not simply pay off their debts and provide for their present needs and set up the Boaz Trust Fund so that whenever, you know Naomi, Ruth, whenever you need it, here's gonna be the money for you to be there and you can come and access this money and you'll be provided for, no. The redemption that Boaz accomplished refamilied them. It, it refamilied people who had been cut off people who had lost their husbands, people who had, therefore, no inheritance, no children, no hope. They had nothing. They had no love in their lives. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. I don't have anything, right, says Naomi. The work of Boaz and his redemption is to refamily them into not only his provision, but also into his love. And that's where Peter now takes us in this first chapter. We have been ransomed into an imperishable family with one imperishable family trait. Uh, theoretically, Theoretically, the commands that have been given thus far, the three that I have articulated for hope, for holiness, and for fear. Theoretically, each of those commands could be obeyed on an individual basis you could think of each of those commands and think about your relationship with God there's a verticality to those commands and a verticality to how you would hear them and how you might obey them now we shouldn't do that we shouldn't think of any of those in isolation from our brothers and sisters but it could be possible to do that but now Peter takes us to a command that cannot be lived in isolation. And the command is this. The command is right there in the middle of our text. Peter heard it from his Lord and he conveys it on to us. Love one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love is the essential family trait into which we have been born, it is that distinguishing characteristic by which a person looks at a child and says, "You are the child of your father. I know what family you come from, because you look like this. You have this characteristic. Uh, I didn't tell Jack I was going to do this beforehand, but uh, so Jack's parents, uh, Jack Newman, who was just up here, uh, were here the last couple, or a couple of times recently, one for the baptism about a month ago, and then just last week for Jack's ordination. And I don't know if you got a chance, even for two minutes, two sentences, to introduce yourself to Jack's father. But if you did, you felt like you were meeting Jack. It was the, the expressions, everything was the same. I don't know him well enough to know the, the character of Jack's father except via Jack. Um, but, but that's the idea here, that there are family characteristics, there are family traits that we can recognize, that go from the parents to the children. And the one that Peter is going to talk about here is the characteristic of love. And for those who, by faith, by foreknowledge, by the election of the Lord and in hope, for those who have been brought into that family, then hear this about the love that Peter is now commanding with which we love one another hear what the scripture has to say about it. Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Imperishable. Or, the psalm that we read as the call to worship this morning, and the part that you spoke, and then that we all spoke together, his steadfast love endures forever. We've been in 1 Corinthians 13... Uh, in Sunday school for a couple of weeks, and as chapter 14 begins, you remember? Chapter 14 didn't begin with tongues, by the way. Uh, We talked a lot about that this morning. Chapter 14 begins with this command, pursue love. Pursue love, because love never ends, right? That's, that's, Chapter 13, love never ends, so pursue love, or I put on the front of your bulletins, Paul instructing Timothy, whereas the aim of our charge is love, and the language is very similar, that issues from a pure heart, a sincere conscience, and a good faith, pursue Timothy love. Peter says then to us, love one another earnestly, strenuously, strain for loving one another. Peter is in no way for love light. It is very common in our day amongst friends, particularly amongst young friends, who see one another and depart from one another to give a quick love you, love you, love you. That's, that's, that's cheap language that's out in the culture, love you language. Peter's not talking about that. Peter's not for love slogans. He's for down in the trenches, get on the cross kind of love. Love one another earnestly, because it's not going to be easy. And love one another, he says, from a pure heart. That is a heart that has been purified by the truth. Peter's not advocating a free-floating, independent kind of love as a nice virtue but a love that is grounded in the truth, in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter heard the words of Jesus who said, as I have loved you, love one another. You want to know how you're supposed to love one another? It's the way I loved you. If you're confused about what love is, that's how it is, as Jesus loved. Now that's the command. It's not a new command, right? It's one that you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. Talking about the church, talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's given the supreme command, but look, once again, you have to have your Bibles here for a second for you. Look at verses 22 and 23 and see how Peter wraps up this command that he has just given to us. We cannot underestimate the challenge of the command to love one another any more than you can underestimate the command to be holy. But Peter takes this thing and he puts his arm around it, and he arms around it, and he creates this kind of love sandwich or this command to love sandwich that is on either side. Look at the phrases there: having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brother brotherly love. I'll come back to it in a second. And then verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word and sandwiched between both of those is the command to love one another. And these two things are what it takes for us to love one another and the reason why it's actually possible for us to love one another. Let me just look at both of them very briefly. The first phrase, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth. This is a phrase that is common to us already in Peter. If you look back up in verse 2, it talks about in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. This is talking about conversion right here. The obedience that Peter is speaking of that has purified you is, in this case, the obedience of faith. It is that which has taken, out of, taken us out of the world, out of the world of perishability, and brought us into the world where things have been purified by the blood of Christ. And he gives us the direction. What what did that happen for? Why did that happen? And the answer is for a sincere brotherly love. So he's going to give us the command, love one another. But he's saying, why did this happen? Why did the purification take place? For a sincere brotherly love. This is what the purpose is. Therefore, because that's the purpose, now he gives the command. So go ahead and do it. what the purpose is of your very being purified and having the obedience of the truth and then take the other side of it the other half of the sandwich in uh, verse 23 since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable and again these are ideas that we've already seen right Verse 3 tells us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The seed of life, the seed of life has taken root inside of us. It has been planted inside of us. And like other seeds in this world, the seed holds life. But unlike other seeds in this world, whether those seeds be human seeds or plant seeds or animal seed of some sort, unlike them, this one is imperishable. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the seed that's been planted in you. Nothing less the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Your resurrection life, your being revived, revivified, is secure because of the resurrection that took place of Jesus Christ. Imperishability, in other words, has been planted inside of us. It has taken root inside of us, and to, you know, dovetail on other biblical metaphors that are out there, as a seed that is planted grows into a tree, that tree produces good fruit. And the first fruit that we look for from the tree, from the seed that was planted, remember this is an imperative, this is the first fruit that you're looking for because imperishability has been implanted in you and you're going, okay, what will imperishability look like when it comes out, when it shows up in the world? What should I pursue because imperishability has been planted in me? And the answer is love. Love. Love one another. That's the first fruit of what has been implanted in you. We may be exiles, we may be scattered, but our call isn't to grin and bear it in isolation. We are scattered, but we are refamilied. We're dispersed, but we are re-communityed, re-covenanted in love and for love. Jesus said, my mothers and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's refamilying, right? That's that's refamilying the people of God, the people who will hear his word, obey his word by faith, who will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, allow it to take root in their hearts by faith, and then produce fruit. What's the obey my commands? Those who obey my word, those are the ones who do it those who love, right? Because that's how you summarize all of the commands of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, look it up on the front of your bulletin. That's how you summarize what the commands of God are. We have an imperishable family, the household of God, with an imperishable family quality love. And Peter rests. Our knowledge of that reality, our experience of it, our hope of it, our pursuit of it, he takes all of that and he rests it upon the imperishable Word of God. How do you know that that's true? It's resting on nothing less than the imperishable, living, abiding Word of God. Somehow, somewhere there's a great metaphor, a great analogy. I tried to think of one all week, and if I were a better storyteller or better at coming up with metaphors and analogy, I'd have some great picture of how this works. But just, just see it as it is written for us. You've got this central command that you should love one another. Love is an imperishable family trait and command, and then you've got that sandwich between the seeds of imperishability of being born again and the purification that has taken place because of your faith, and he rests all of that on something that is utterly imperishable, namely, the Word of God. Look at how this passage is founded on. See how many times it is referenced in this passage, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. It's the truth that we're talking about that is what is the ground of everything? And then it says the the living and abiding Word of God in verse 23, and then in verse 24, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And then, uh, that's 25, excuse me, and then at the end of 25, and this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, when we hear in Scripture phrases like the Word of the Lord or the Word of of God, or the truth, or sometimes also the faith. There are different ways that we might understand that. These are all interconnected with one another. But when you hear, you know, that the word of the Lord remains forever, you might think of your Bible. And you might think, okay, this is talking about the prophetic word, the law of God, the scriptures that God has given to us, the thus saith the Lord, the voice of God. So we might consider it to be that way. We might also hear the idea of the word, and of course, like John, used that to refer not only to the scriptures, but use it to refer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, so we could associate the word of God, uh, the word of the Lord with Jesus himself, But the third meaning, and I think this is more the emphasis that is here, not to exclude those first two in any way, is that Peter defines this. He defines it in the very last phrase of this passage. What is this word? The word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord on which all of this rests is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was preached to you, that you heard, that you received, that you believed, even though you never saw him. Even though you never saw him, you believed in him and you loved him. It's the gospel that is imperishable. That's what Peter is saying here. The gospel is the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, Paul. The gospel is the good news that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The gospel is the good news that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. What Peter is saying is this call to love and the fact that you have been born into an imperishable family where that trait is going to be demonstrated for all eternity, it's based on the fact that the gospel has come into a loveless, cold, dead, dying perishable world, a world in which by itself on its own because of its rebellion, where it's true that all flesh is like grass and the grass withers and the flower fades and it falls. The gospel has come into that. The word of the Lord, now just to, to use both of them in parallel, the gospel and the word of the Lord saying the same thing. The word of the Lord creates and it reads creates. The word of the Lord is what purifies us. The word of the Lord is what rebirths us. It revives us. It quickens us. The word of the Lord gives us life. The word of the Lord flows from love. Where did the gospel come from? Where did the word of the Lord come from? For God so loved the world that he sent his son The word of the Lord not only flows from love unto love, it secures love. Because the word of the Lord says, hey, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Imperishability has been planted inside of you and nothing will separate you from it. The word of the Lord embraces scattered exiles, And it rescues us from what otherwise would seem like a life of futility and a life of perishability. The word of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. The word of the Lord is firmly fixed in the heavens. The word of the Lord is powerful. The word of the Lord, as Peter says it here, it is living and it is abiding and it is the thing that will remain. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the foundation. The word of the Lord is the good news that was preached to you. It was the good news that converted you. Whenever and however that took place, that is the good news. And it's the good news that we together are hearing today, the good news of the gospel. The word of the Lord then gathers up the exiles. It brings them to life In this family, and it says now, in this world where things perish, where even you have a finite set amount of time on this earth, you want to be involved in something that lasts, you want to do something that lasts. Love one another earnestly with a pure heart. Lord, we pray that you would help us not only understand what we've just read and seen from your word, but to live in it and to heed because of the life of Jesus Christ implanted within us, the imperishable seed, to heed it and to do it we don't always always find it easy to love one another. Let us do so, because that's what your family does. We pray that we would be made like you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, our hymn.